Okay. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> Man, I'm so happy to be here to share with you guys today. Um, so, uh, like Debbie just mentioned, my name is Jordan. Um, and I know like most everybody that's in here right now knows me, but um, I actually uh, haven't been here in a while, so I want to just like briefly introduce myself. Um, if you've been around, you know that I actually was a minister here at Christchurch for uh, a little over 14 years, but I stepped away back in January, um, and, I, and so I've been gone for most of 2021. I, I've only been here a few times, and so if there's anybody who's new here, maybe you haven't met me before, hopefully you'll see more and more of me in the, in the, in the coming uh, months and, and years, because uh, Christchurch is my home church, and I'm, I'm so happy to be able to be back here to share and, and preach for y'all this morning. Um, so, so back in January, I stepped away from my 14-year ministry here at Christ Church to go and join Campus Christian Fellowship uh, at East Carolina University. In fact, uh, Travis, who was just up here uh, singing and playing and leading y'all in communion, uh, Travis is my partner in that ministry, uh, along with his wife, Connie, who's there in the back. Um, and man, I'm excited. And let me tell you, I'm, ex I'm especially excited because uh, I've been... Uh, I've been raising support and I've been going around and talking about, I've been talking about CCF, I've been talking about campus ministry for the last like eight months, um, but I haven't really gotten to do much of it yet. Um, but the time is coming and it's coming quickly. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to talk for just a second before I jump into our topic today. I want to talk about Campus Christian Fellowship real quick. Um, Campus Christian Fellowship is a, it's a ministry that spans four different schools in North Carolina right now. Uh, UNCW, Chapel Hill, NC State, and right here in Greenville, East Carolina University. Um, and, and, and we hope to see that grow in the future and expand to other schools um, because our heart really is to, to reach college students um, and as many college students in as many places as we possibly can. Um, our mission at Campus Christian Fellowship is to make disciples on campus who impact the world. Um, now, I've lived in Greenville for over 15 years. Uh, I'm actually from Virginia, um, but I've lived in Greenville for over 15 years. And I'll tell you, I'm not going back to Virginia. I like it here. <laughs> Whew, man. And I, and I lived in Hampton Roads. I don't know if you've ever driven through Hampton Roads, but man. Holy cow. I'm so glad to be here. You know, even though like students are on campus and traffic is getting a little worse, I don't know if y'all have noticed that, like just more people in the city just kind of, you know, it just, traffic is a little worse than it was, you know, a few months ago. Um, it's nothing compared to Hampton Roads. Anyway, that's a, that's a tangent, but I, I, I love Greenville. I love being here. And over the last 15 years, I found it absolutely undeniable that East Carolina University is one of, if not the single greatest local mission field in this city. And there are, there are a number of local mission fields. There are a number of places where there is just a great opportunity to share the gospel um, in our city. There are several that I could think of, but ECU is, is at the top of that list for me. And that's really what drew me to go and join the team at, at Campus Christian Fellowship. We have the opportunity in this ministry to, to build relationships with students uh, from across the state and from around the world to share with them the love of God and the hope of Christ. And what, a, what an awesome opportunity. Not only that, not just the, the opportunity that we have to reach new students, new people who've never really learned about Jesus before, but we also have the opportunity to minister to students who've grown up in the church. Let me tell you, um, David Kinneman in his book, Faith for Exiles, he talks about the, the fact that this, this is from the Barna Group. They did a survey of 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in the church. And what they found is that only one out of 10 
of those 18 to 29-year-olds had a, a, a faith that was resilient enough to carry them into mature adulthood. One out of 10. And so, so I believe that CCF could carry on the work of discipling the children in our churches, the children from Christ Church, but the churches from all around the state and the region. And, and look, here's the thing. Look, I know because I worked here for 14 years, I know that we invest heavily in the discipleship of our children and our, our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. Let me tell you, that discipleship is not finished when they turn 18, when they graduate from high school. And uh, for so many people, faith becomes something that was part of their childhood. And I get it. Like, there are a lot of things I left behind. When I graduated from high school, let me tell you, I, I, I walked away and, like, I, I don't have those relationships anymore. I can count on one hand the number of people that I went to high school with that I ever talked to again after I walked across that stage. There are a lot of things that we leave behind in our past as a part of our childhood, and gosh, faith should not be one of those. And if, and if, and if our children are going to go off to college and they're going to mature into adulthood, we want their faith to mature with them. And I really, really believe that Campus Christian Fellowship, that's our mission. It's making disciples. It's continuing the discipleship that's been begun here at Christ Church and at other churches around the state and around the world. And so, the, you know, absolutely, the, there's just an amazing opportunity for us, whether it's reaching new students for Christ or whether it's helping uh, people who've grown up in the church to continue to mature in their faith. Um, over the next two weeks, our campus is going to be filling up, and it really already has begun. Um, and I can't wait to see what God's going to do at ECU this semester. Um, now, I, I mentioned that I've spent most of the last year, most of 2021, uh, raising support and I'm getting really close to my financial goal for raising support. And so I, I kind of have to throw it out there. If anybody is interested in supporting me financially, I would love to talk to you. And you can reach out to me through the, through the church office or you can find me on Facebook. Um, you know, absolutely, I would love to talk to you about that. But let me be honest with you, even more than financial support, because I mean, I'm getting close. Um, even more than financial support, what we need at CCF right now is we need prayer. We need prayer. Listen, as students come back to campus this year, now I'm new, um, but Connie and Travis have been doing it for a long, long time. And all three of us, if we're honest, we don't know what they expect. We have no idea. This is a semester like no semester that we've ever experienced before. I was thinking about the students who are going to be coming onto campus, and it hit me that the, the, the students who are, who are juniors this year, which we had, uh, we had, a, we had one of them um, with us on a, on a student conference a couple weeks ago, going into her junior year, um, and, and, and in talking to her, it hit me that, that they've had one normal semester of college, the juniors. The sophomores had a couple of weeks, and then they were sent home last fall. Even the seniors, the, the, the seniors who should be like the, the, the seniors, I mean, the seniors, they've been, they've been here the whole time, right? They had one normal year of school, and, and they were freshmen when they had a normal year of school. And that's what we're walking into on campus this year. Like, it's like everybody is new. It's like everybody is new. And, and then, obviously, I don't even have to mention the freshmen. I mean, that's normal, right? But it's not just the freshmen this time. Everybody is new, and everybody is going to be figuring out. And it's not even for those who can remember 
you know, back when they were freshmen, the seniors this year, back when they were freshmen, they can remember what it was like. It's not going to be the same. It's going to be different. Add to all of that, add to all of that the, the reality that uh, not just in college, but really across the board, depression and suicide and mental health among young people are through the roof. And even the people who are mostly okay right now, they're doing, they're doing all right, they're getting by, um, are still emotionally exhausted from the last year and a half. Listen, I, I really believe that the students who are coming on a campus are going to be particularly vulnerable this year in a number of different ways. But I think especially they're going to be vulnerable to, 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 to spiritual attack. They're going to be vulnerable to, to, to depression and anxiety and all of these things. And so, like, my, my heart goes out to those students. And, and so I want to ask you to join me in praying. Uh, I want to ask you to join me in praying over the next few weeks. Um, pray for all of the students that are coming on campus. Pray for our ministry and the students that we're going to be able to connect with. Pray for the other campus ministries and all of the opportunities that all of us are going to have. Because let me tell you, there is more need and there are more students on campus than, than what we can meet. There just is. But pray, pray for all the students who are coming on a campus. Look, when you're standing in the line at Walmart and it's like twice as long as it normally is, when you're, you know, getting cut off in traffic and you're feeling like, ah, oh, things are crazy. Like, just remember that, that every single one of these students who is here in our city, uh, you know, as a guest of our city, like, they, they are someone who God loves. And we have an opportunity to be praying for them that this semester would be the semester where they realize that God loves them and God cares about them. Pray that our students would, would be safe and healthy Pray that, that we wouldn't have any major outbreaks of this virus again this fall. Pray that the students would find healthy friendships and relationships to be in. But most importantly, pray that they would see that God is at work in their lives. And pray that they would know that God loves them. In fact, right now I'm going to pray and I want you all to join me in praying. God, this morning... Um, I just want to ask that you would be with the students coming onto our campus. God, be with, with every single one of them. God, point them towards you. Help them to see you at work in their lives. God, be with me and Connie and Travis as we step into what we don't even really know what to expect. God, just be with us and help us to just be uh, open and responsive, that, that we would open up our hearts and open up our lives to the students that we meet. And God, that you would, would just put people in front of us that we can show your love to. God, that we would embody your love to the students that we encounter. God, I, I, pray, for, uh, I pray for our church and I pray for our city as we uh, open up to bring these students in this, this, uh, this coming week. And I pray that, that this would be a good semester. God, that it would just be uh, at least a little bit of a return to normal. God, thank you for this morning that, that, that I have to, to teach and to share. God, I just ask that you would help me to have the right words to say. And uh, God, I pray that, 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 that we could, could grow to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so that's enough about CCF. I'm going to stop my shameless plug of our awesome ministry that you should all be thinking about and praying about because, man, the rubber's about to hit the road. Anyway, that's enough. Um, 
This morning, we're starting a new series, and this new series is called New Heights, right? You can see I got the, got the stuff on, on the wall here. Um, new Heights. Now, this, this, this whole year, um, Christ Church has been going through a curriculum or, a, or a, a study guide, however you want to think about it. We've been going through a book called Core 52. Um, now, I got to tell you, Core 52 is, is it's fantastic. And even if you didn't start in January, I encourage anybody who— uh, Maybe opens up the Bible and seems lost, feels like I don't know where to start. Maybe you open it up and you're like, oh my gosh, you're overwhelmed. Um, Core 52 is a great like starting point for helping you to grow in your knowledge and understanding of God and of the scripture. Um, And what I love about Core 52 is that it's designed to help you grow in that knowledge and understanding, not just of the Bible, but but of God and of God's love for you. And so when when I... (laughs) When I found out that the series that we're starting today is called New Heights, um, it reminded me of Ephesians chapter 3. And this is one of my favorite passages. In fact, I'm almost positive I've, I've, I've read this passage to y'all before. But I'm going to read it to you again. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. See, I, I bet you didn't realize that, 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 that Paul is actually not just writing a letter here, but he is sharing a prayer with the church in Ephesus. And it's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. But I want to hone in on a couple of verses. I'm going to go back to verse 17, and I want you to, 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 to track with me here. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You see, the whole goal here is to know the heights and the depths of God's love. But but it's even more complicated than that because Paul says that that knowledge, it surpasses knowledge. So how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? I mean, how can we... How can we know something that's beyond knowing? And often I think we we turn to the Bible, and sometimes we even turn to our relationship with God, hoping that God is going to fix our problems, that God is going to answer our questions, that God is going to help us to have a better life. But I think that if we truly knew God's love for us, if we truly understood and comprehended the length and the depth and the height uh, and the width, I got it all mixed up. But if we really understood just the immensity of God's love for us, that our problems would fade into the background. They wouldn't go away, because that's not what God promises. But they would definitely seem less significant in light of the knowledge of God's love. That, 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 that our problems would fade into the background, and that rather than making our lives better, our lives would be changed forever. 
they would be completely transformed. So with that in mind, this week in our Core 52 book, we're learning about something called the Incarnation, all right? Um, the Incarnation, and that's one of those, uh, definitely one of those Christian-y words. If you didn't grow up in the church, you might be thinking that I'm talking about some kind of like um, uh, breakfast supplement or something. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Incarnation. And when we talk about the Incarnation in the church, we're talking about when God became a man. And not just any man, but God became the man, Jesus Christ. And this is a word that you, you might hear more frequently uh, around Christmas, around the Christmas season. This is definitely one of those Christmas season words uh, because it's actually what Christmas is all about, right? Now, now, just in case you're unaware, Christmas is not about Santa Claus. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not gonna make any comment about Santa Claus other than that's not the point of Christmas. It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about Christmas trees. It's not about fruitcake. It's not about the presence under our tree, but it's about the presence of God here with us. That's what Christmas is about. And that's what the incarnation is about. In fact, um, it's kind of amazing to me when I think about the, the nativity scene. I love nativity scenes. Like just the, you put them up in your house and it's just, it's a, we have like five of them in our house. Um, and it's just something that I like, okay? And uh, when I think about the nativity scene, it's amazing to me this contrast between the total obscurity. And I mean, we romanticize it a little bit, but like if you really are honest with yourself and you think about how horrible it must have been to give birth in a stinking uh, shed with a bunch of animals and like poop on the floor, like that, man. So, so, so Jesus came from complete and utter obscurity, like as obscure as you can get. And yet what happened in that moment in time actually had cosmic significance. And I think already I'm kind of getting into what the, the big deal is about the incarnation. The incarnation is this key distinction of the Christian faith. It's one of the things that makes Christianity distinct from all other religions. Other religions can reconcile themselves to the claims that Jesus was a good teacher, that Jesus was even a prophet, that he was some kind of enlightened spiritual luminary. And, and honestly, he was all of those things. All of those things are true of Jesus. But he was so much more than that. It's because Jesus was a man. He was a human being like all of us, right? He was born as a baby, and he dealt with, look, I have a, ba I have a baby who just turned one yesterday, <laughs> and I'm still changing her diaper. Jesus had to have his diaper changed. Jesus had to have somebody stick a spoonful of food in his mouth. He was born as this little baby, like all of us, as a human being, but he was more than just a human being. He was also God incarnate. And our key verse this week, if you were reading in Core 52, our key verse for this chapter is John 1, 14. And it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, so, he's, so, so just, just to unpack a little bit, when John, the, the, the Apostle John, in his, uh, in his Gospel John, and even in some of his letters, when he talks about the Word, that's, a, that's his name for Jesus. It's one of the ways that he talks about Jesus. And so he said the word, but he's not just talking about Jesus as the person, as the man, but he's talking about 
the, the Jesus who was God before he was a man, right? But then that God who was God before Jesus was ever born, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, and, and, and so this word incarnation, it comes from the word incarnate, which literally means in the flesh. Now, have any of you ever had the chance to meet someone in the flesh that you really looked up to or like idolized? Has anybody ever experienced that? Nobody? I'm, I'm, okay, there's one. Man, nobody's met like a celebrity or just somebody that they've always looked up to. Uh, maybe you're just not raising your hands, and that's fine. Um, was it everything that you hoped and expected it to be? Or was it maybe, was it a disappointment in any way? No? You know, I, I, I shared, a, I put this up on Facebook asking for stories, and, I, and then I thought, <laughs> thought afterwards, like, the last thing I need is everybody to talk about all the terrible celebrities that they met so we could stand up here and talk about how horrible these people are. And so I'm not going to, like, name a whole lot of names or talk about anything, but the one that stuck out to me the most was actually Tim Turner, shared with me on Facebook uh, that he actually met Michael Jordan in person. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but let's just say it was a little bit of a disappointment uh, to him. Um, now, I mean, I, you know, I grew up seeing posters of Michael Jordan everywhere. I mean, that, that was like, you know, I was born in 82, and I mean, Michael Jordan was everywhere for most of my childhood, okay? Um, but it's just a reminder to me, it's not, not really even to knock Michael Jordan at all, because I've never met him, and I don't know him, and I don't know much about him. Um, it's just a reminder to me that meeting someone in person and experiencing them in person is always different than just living with the images that we have in our minds of people. So I've, I've actually had my own celebrity encounter that I'm going to share with you guys this morning. Um, so it should come as no surprise to anyone in here who knows me, but when, when I was a kid, I was a little bit of a nerd. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I got some laughs from that. So actually, I, I might still be a little bit of a nerd. Um, but I got it honest. I actually have this memory of, of, of being a kid and my dad taking me to a Star Trek convention. So you didn't know it was that bad, did you? <laughs> uh, my dad took me to a Star Trek convention where I stood in line to get autographs from George Takai and Michael Dorn. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and you know what? You know what I realized when I, when I, when I got up there? I was so excited to meet, you know, uh, Commander Sulu and, and Lieutenant Commander Worf because I was a big nerd. <laughs> Um, but then I realized that this isn't Commander Sulu and, and Lieutenant Commander Worf. These are just actors. They're just guys. Well, obviously I knew that going into it, but it was a reminder to me, and it's something that sticks with me that I remember that there, you know, the, the, you know, we see people on TV or we, we, we think about the, the artists and the musicians and the celebrities that we look up to, um, but they're just people. They're just regular people, just like us. Uh, those, those are just regular guys, and that's okay because that's all any of us are. In fact, that, that's what many people thought that Jesus was. There were many who did not recognize Jesus for who, who he truly was. You know, to, to them, Jesus was just a man. In fact, he was just a man who liked to, like, rock the boat a little bit too much, honestly, for, for, for their taste. Um, in, in fact, as a supposed Messiah, he was really a disappointment to a lot of people. He wasn't what they expected. But to those who truly knew him for who he was, their lives were forever changed 
by their face-to-face encounters with God in the flesh. And in fact, for those who knew him face-to-face and for all those who have come to know him in the centuries since, the incarnation has become when the infinite became finite. When the unknowable made himself known when God came here in the flesh. You know, Paul writes about this fusion in Colossians chapter 1, this fusion between the human and the divine. I'm going to pick up in verse 15. He says, uh, this is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. I'm going to pause right there for just a second. Just think about again, how in the world is an image invisible? And yet, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, when we say that Jesus was flesh and blood, what we mean is that Jesus was a human being just like us. But when Paul writes that all the fullness of God dwelled in him, what Paul means is that Jesus was not only fully man, but he was also fully God. Uh, theologians call this the, the two natures of Christ. In fact, here's my, here's my $5 theology word for the day. Um, it's also known as the hypostatic union. Can you say hypostatic union? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm teaching an 11th grade theology class at Christ Covenant School. That's where I learned that. Um, the hypostatic union. Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard considered this dual nature, fully human, fully divine, this dual nature, he considered the ultimate paradox. And so in Christ, the human and the divine are united in a mystical union. And what I mean by that is we have absolutely no idea how it's possible. It's beyond us. And yet, this mystery is revealed to us, and that revelation is illuminating. We don't understand it, but it is, and when we encounter it, it tells us things about God. And this is what the incarnation tells us about God. First, it tells us that God is present. It tells us that God is present. You know, there, there have been all these different ideas throughout human history about what God is, who God is, what God is like. Um, I mean, just like, just a full spectrum of ideas from, from God as an impersonal force to, you know, the, the ancient uh, Greek and, and Roman and even Norse mythologies about gods as these flawed personalities. Um, and and even, even in modern Enlightenment era thinking, you know, we have the idea of deism, of God as this disinterested transcendent, abstract creator who's just far away from us. But in Jesus, I think we have another option. And the option that we have is Jesus as the perfect person. He's a person. Jesus was a person. And Jesus was a person because God is a person. He's not an impersonal force. But he's also not a flawed person like we saw in the, in the Greek and the Roman mythologies. He's a perfect person. Somehow he brings together the perfection 
and the transcendence of the impersonal force and the, and the immediate relevance and, and relatability of, of the personalities that we see in other religions. I mean, Jesus brings together all of what's good and all of what's true about God. And so God is present. God is here with us. Um, Jesus came here as a human being, and he lived here on the planet Earth in a place, in a time. I mean, that, that's, a, man, that's, a, that's a big deal. So God is present. The incarnation tells us that God is present. It also tells us that God is love. The incarnation tells us that God is love. Because what motivation must God have had to come down to this earth? What motivation must he have had to become a human being? So I want to read to you from 1 John chapter 4. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, God, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us. and His love is perfected in us. And I love the word that, 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 that he said there right in the middle. That in Jesus, the love of God was made manifest. That word manifest means that he, he was made clear. He was made obvious. What was transcendent, what was so hard for us to understand was made obvious to us through the love of Jesus. And in fact, I want to read to you uh, probably one of the most famous passages about love. If you've ever, ever been to a wedding, you've heard this read before. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm just going to read a few verses starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, it, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, th this chapter is called the love chapter. And it's ultimately a description of the character of Christ. And he bears all things. He endures all things. And, and why in the world would he do it? Well, he does it because he loves us. And he loves us because God is love. And Jesus is love in the flesh. And so the incarnation tells us that God is present. He's here with us. He's not disinterested. He's not far away. But he cares about us so much that he loved us so much to send his son down to this earth. And finally, the incarnation tells us that God is personally invested. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, uh, put my neck on the line. I put my neck on the line for you, right? What it means is to take a big risk for someone else. To take a big risk for someone else. Look, God faced all of the pain and the suffering and all of the trials and the temptations that human life could throw at him. Uh, probably, certainly more than, than, than most of us have ever faced. I want to I read to you from Hebrews. Chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 14. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, God has only ever always been with us. He's, he's, he's always been with us in the trenches. He's always been moving closer and closer to us. And when God, when God sees us suffering, it causes him suffering. But unlike us, God doesn't avoid suffering at all costs. You know, we actually sang a song earlier that quoted from uh, Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read verses 1 and 2 to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, not only does the incarnation tell us about God, but it also tells us about ourselves. It, it, it tells us that God is present, and that God is love, and that, and that God is, is personally invested in our salvation. But it also tells us how we're meant to be. The incarnation is more than a doctrine or an idea. It's a template for us to follow, to be present, to be love, and to be personally invested. I want to read to you from 1 John again. This is chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We have to walk in the way that Jesus walked. Jesus showed us, he showed us love through the incarnation, and we're called to follow him, to walk in the way that he walked, to model the same love that he showed for us. So we read earlier uh, two different verses that in my mind have, have become connected. Uh, Colossians chapter 119 talks about how all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. But then we read before that in Ephesians chapter 3 that by knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's the same phrase that Paul uses here. See, Jesus was filled with all the fullness of God, but we also can be filled with all the fullness of God. And the point here is not, it's not to say that we're exactly the same as Jesus. There are some ways in which Jesus is absolutely, totally unique. Jesus was the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead. And yet, we were meant to join him, to be like him, to become like him. Christ took on flesh, but we take on Christ. We put off the old self, and we put on Christ. And we join him in becoming love incarnate, 
the light of the world to those living in darkness. It's not an idea to be made sense of. It's a true story for us to be a part of. So I want to wrap up this morning by reading to you the lyrics from, from my absolute favorite Christmas song. It's not the most popular or recognizable song, but over the last few years, it's become the song that, that to me most clearly represents the beautiful mystery of the incarnation. The song is called, Come and Stand Amazed, You People. And I think that that's a fitting title because I really believe that the incarnation is truly amazing. There is nothing like it. So I want to read this, these song lyrics to you. It says, come and stand amazed, you people. See how God is reconciled. See his plans of love accomplished. See his gift, this newborn child. See the mighty, weak, and tender. See the word who now is mute. Oh, man. That's it's just the irony of the one who's called the word of God as a baby who can't utter a word. I mean, it's just so powerful to me. See the sovereign without splendor. See the fullness. We've talked about the fullness this morning, but see the fullness destitute. See how humankind received him. See him wrapped in swaddling bands, who as Lord of all creation rules the wind by his commands. See him lying in a manger without sign of reasoning. Word of God to flesh surrendered. He is wisdom's crown, our king. Now I want to stop for just a second and I want, to, I want to point out something. All throughout the first two verses of this song, over and over again, the writer is telling us to see these things. It reminds me that we're, we're, we're told to taste and see that the, the, the Lord is good. I think that we're supposed to experience, we're supposed to see we're supposed to see for ourselves what can't be explained in words. But even more than just seeing it in Jesus, we're invited into it ourselves. And this last verse, I think, sums it up. It says, O Lord Jesus, God incarnate, who assumed this humble form, counsel me and let my wishes to your perfect will conform. Light of life, dispel my darkness. Let your frailty strengthen me. Let your meekness give me boldness. Let your burden set me free. O Emmanuel, our Savior, let your death be life for me. You see, in Jesus, God teaches. He teaches us. In fact, he doesn't just teach us. He shows us how to live and how to love. The incarnation is an invitation to a new way to be human. Jesus came down and he lived a life as the perfect human and he invited us to walk as he walked, to follow in his footsteps, to be present, to be love, and to be personally invested in seeing the goodness and the light of God brought to every corner of our world, to every person in our communities. So we're going to sing now, and uh, <laughs> I forgot to ask. I'm not sure how invitation is being handled right now, but let me tell you, this is an invitation, okay? Um, and whether you seek somebody out after service or whether you come up and talk to somebody now, um, I just want you to know that you are being invited to something that can transform your life. 
And if you don't know Jesus, if you've not put off the old self and put on the new self, I want to encourage you to seek out answers today. So let's stand and sing.